0: We find ourselves this morning in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, and so if you would turn in your Bibles now to Genesis 22, as I just mentioned, uh, we are continuing our series on favorite Bible stories, and we are looking this morning at the story of Abraham being called to sacrifice his son Isaac, Genesis 22, uh, verses 1 through 19, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. and it's the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. What is it that you treasure the most? What is it in your life that you hold most dear? Children, you might remember in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus one time was asked a question. What is the greatest commandment? And you know how Jesus responded. He responded by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That was his answer to that question. In other words, we are to, to love God that with all that we have. And we are to love him above everything else. This morning we come to one of these memorable stories in the Bible that that all of us probably here this morning have heard before. Basically the same question is being asked in this passage. What is it that Abraham treasures the most? Now Abraham had a very interesting life, didn't he? Uh, Children, you might know this, uh, Abraham didn't grow up in a family where his mom and dad believed in the one true God. He he didn't grow up in a believing home like many of you have. Abraham was actually brought up worshiping a false God. He he was brought up worshiping the moon God. That's how he spent his, his childhood. But by God's powerful grace, God Brought Abraham out of that, and and Abraham became a believer in the one true God. And and you remember that God gave to Abraham many, many wonderful promises, one of which was that God would make of Abraham a great nation. But there was a problem. The, The problem was that Abraham and his wife Sarah didn't have any children. And and not just that they didn't have any children, it's that they couldn't have any children. Genesis 11 verse 30 puts it very simply. Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Pretty hard to be a great nation when you can't have any kids. But God continued to tell Abraham that he would fulfill that promise. In fact, in Genesis 15, you remember God takes Abraham outside and he says to Abraham, Abraham, look up. And, and, and see if you can count all those stars. That's how numerous your offspring will be. And, and God did the miraculous, didn't he? When Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old, God gave them a child, Isaac. Imagine if that was you. Imagine the, the, the joy that would flood your heart. After all of these years, in fact, it was 25 years before this that God had told Abraham that that he and Sarah would have a child. Finally, 25 years later, it's happened. The promised child is here. This is the one, finally, through whom Abraham will become a great nation. But we come this morning to chapter 22 of Genesis, and all of this is now in jeopardy. That which Abraham holds so dear, his son Isaac, may be taken away from him. How would you feel if that were you? We want to look at this passage this morning in three parts. Uh, First of all, there is the test. And then there is the obedience. And then there is the provision. The test, the obedience, and the provision. God comes to Abraham And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering. Now now notice the progression here. He, He says to Abraham, your son, your only son, and the son whom you love. Offer him up as a burnt offering. Children, do you know what a burnt offering was? A burnt offering was... When you would, you would take an animal and, and you would kill that animal, and, and then you would cut that animal up and, and you would take it and put it on a fire until the entire animal was consumed by the fire. That's what Abraham is being asked to do here. Not to a bull, not to a goat, but to his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. The whole process was, was quite graphic. Um, first of all, they would slit the animal's throat. Then they would dismember the animal. And then they would take all the body parts of the animal again and, and put it on a fire. And again, Abraham wasn't supposed to do this to an animal, but to his son. He would have been, as you would have been, horrified at the thought of this. Something else to realize about Abraham's day was that human sacrifice was practiced quite frequently in pagan cultures. And so Abraham would have known that this kind of stuff was done as part of the Canaanite culture. In fact, the Canaanites, in the Canaanite religion, it was common for Canaanite fathers to take their firstborn son and sacrifice them on an altar. That's what the Canaanites did. But this whole idea would have been Repulsive to Abraham as it's repulsive to us. To consider sacrificing your own child. Now I don't know what Abraham thought when he heard this. The the text doesn't tell us. I know what I would have thought. I know that the first thing I would have thought to myself is did I hear this correctly? And if I did hear this correctly, there's no way I'm doing this. Offer my son as a burnt offering? I mean, God's promises are resting on Isaac, right? And, and if, if Isaac is killed, the promises are over. It's finished. And, and we read this story, this familiar story, and we ask the question, why is God doing this? Why is he asking Abraham to sacrifice his son? Well, this is a test. Does Abraham love God more than he loves everything else? Does Abraham treasure God and desire to honor God more than anything else? Does Abraham believe God's promises that he will bring his promises to pass no matter what may happen? That's important for us to remember that That God doesn't test his children in order to destroy them. God doesn't test his children because he's out to get them. God tests his children. God tests you to strengthen your faith, to deepen your trust in him, to to grow you. It's for your spiritual benefit. As James says in James chapter 1 Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And so when God sends you a test, whatever that test might be, it's not because he hates you. It's not because he's out to get you. It's not because he wants to destroy you. It's not to harm you. It's because he loves you. It's because he wants to grow you. It's for your benefit spiritually. It's to deepen your your trust and your faith in him. And so this test comes to Abraham, take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him. And and in doing this, at least from our perspective, killing his son, that means the end of the promises to Abraham. Now now again, you'll you'll notice one thing about this passage, we're, we're never told what Abraham is thinking. We're never told what he's feeling But again, we can imagine what we'd be thinking. We can imagine what we'd be feeling. Most of us here, if not all of us, know this story very well. You you knew the end of this story before I even read it this morning. But, But try, try to put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Imagine what he's thinking, imagine what he's feeling. I honestly don't know if there's any other test in Scripture. That would be so difficult and would be filled surely with with so much emotion. I've wrestled with big decisions before, usually in terms of where to to work and where to live. I'm sure you've wrestled with big decisions as well. But those decisions are, are nothing really compared to what is before Abraham. One author writes this. He says, God was asking Abraham to act against common sense, against his natural affections, and against his lifelong hope. That would be hard, wouldn't it? To, to act against your common sense, to act against the love that's in your heart for this child, and to act against the hope that you have. That's the test. Now comes the obedience. How is Abraham going to respond? Well, notice verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. At the crack of dawn, Abraham is up. He's up early. I, I want to think that this is a hint as to the unquestioned obedience of Abraham. I don't know that I would have gotten up early that day. I might have laid in bed a little while longer. I might have tried to go back to sleep and hope the whole thing was just a bad dream. But not Abraham. Abraham is up early. He saddles his donkey. He cuts wood for the burnt offering. He gets Isaac, who, by the way, is probably a teenager at this point. It gets Isaac and two of his servants, and off they go. They're going to make the trip from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. The the distance was about 45 miles. It would have taken them about three days to make this journey. And that's basically what verse 4 tells us. It says, on the third day, Abraham sees the place. He he sees Mount Moriah. He sees the place where he is supposed to sacrifice his only son, the son whom he loves. And he says to his servants, notice verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This is one of those statements that is very telling. Again, if you're an underliner, you can underline here because this says something about Abraham. Last week I I showed you some of the the subtle hints that, that Moses gives us about the Tower of Babel and what the Tower of Babel is meant to teach us. Moses gives us another really interesting clue about how to read this story in verse 5. When Abraham says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you, he's actually saying to his servants, we will come back to you. Isaac and I are going to go over there, we're going to go over there and worship, and then we will be back. This tells us something about Abraham's belief in God and his belief in God's power. Abraham believes that he's going to kill Isaac. He's going to offer him up as a burnt offering. And then both of them are going to come back. And you go, that's crazy. Why would Abraham believe such a thing? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen to this next part. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. Now, if you know your Bible, ask yourself a question. Had there been a resurrection from the dead at this point in history? No. Up till Genesis chapter 22, there had not been a resurrection in redemptive history. And and yet, Abraham so trusts God and he so believes that God will be faithful to his promise that that God will raise Isaac from the dead if he has to. That's faith. That's believing the promises of God. Now if we're reading the story for the first time you can sense the tension, right? The tension is building. God says, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him. Abraham and Isaac and two servants make this 45-mile journey to Mount Moriah. They get there. They get off the donkeys. And and now Abraham takes the wood. He gives it to Isaac to carry. More literally, he, he puts the wood on Isaac's back. Don't forget that image. Abraham then gets a fire. He gets a knife. And the two of them go off together to Mount Moriah. And as they're walking along... Isaac asks his father a question, a question that surely would have pierced Abraham's heart. Verse 7, Isaac says, My father. Abraham says, Here I am, my son. And Isaac says, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? If you were Abraham that day, would that not have crushed your heart? Isaac notices something. He he notices that they're missing one of the key ingredients of a burnt offering, and that is an animal. Isaac had seen enough of these these things, these sacrifices, over the course of his life. He he knows it's kind of hard to have a burnt offering without an animal. And and again, we we all want to feel the weight of this. We want to feel what's going on here. We, We know who's going to be offered up. Isaac doesn't know this but we know that Isaac is that animal Abraham's response is is amazing in verse eight God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son is a remarkable faith that Abraham has God will provide God will provide Abraham doesn't know how all of this is going to work out. He doesn't know what God's going to do. But but he trusts that God is in control. He he trusts that God will accomplish his purposes. He trusts that God is powerful. He trusts that if necessary, he will raise Isaac back from the dead. But, But this is a great example of how we should respond when we don't know how things are going to work out. Maybe you're dealing with something in your life right now and whatever it is, you're thinking to yourself, I really have no idea how this is going to turn out. I really don't know how, how God is going to connect all the dots on this one. I don't know how this is going to end. But he does. He's in control. And I know that he has promised to work all things for my good. John Calvin says this about this passage. He says, this example is for our imitation. In such straits, the only remedy is to leave the event to God in order that he may open a way for us when there is none. We pay God the highest honor when in affairs of perplexity we nevertheless entirely acquiesce to his providence. In affairs of perplexity. In, a, in other words, at times when we're confused. At times we say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what the end result is going to be. Calvin says, we give God honor by trusting in his wise and perfect providence. That, that's the place we all want to be, Right? We all want to be found in the place where we say, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know where this is headed. I don't know how God is going to put all of this together, but I know that he's in control. And I know that he will make a way, when there doesn't seem to be one, that he will work this out. Abraham was a man of faith, wasn't he? He was not a perfect man, we know that, but he was a man of faith. Now, we see Abraham's obedience in this, but we don't want to miss Isaac's obedience. Children, understand here that that Abraham is a very old man at this point. He's well over 100 years old. I have no doubt that Isaac was stronger than Abraham. I have no doubt that Isaac was faster than Abraham. I have no doubt that had Isaac wanted to, he could have gotten away from his father. But we see his obedience in verse 9. Look at what it says. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac allows himself to be bound. That takes faith too, doesn't it? There's no hint that he resisted. There's no hint that he tried to run away. There's no hint that he tried to talk his dad out of this. He allows his father to tie him to the altar because he too believes in the power and the promises of God. And it's here in verse 10 we get this really graphic, poignant scene. Abraham grabs the knife, a knife I'm sure he had used before to kill and dismember sacrificial animals. And he raises it up, he's ready to kill his son. Abraham's gonna go through with this. Abraham's gonna do this. He really does believe that God will raise Isaac from the dead, but just as Abraham's about to kill his son, he hears a voice from heaven. And Abraham doesn't delay in answering, does he? He doesn't say, hey, let, let me finish this burnt offering. And then I'll, I'll answer you. Right away, here I am. As parents, you can imagine how thrilled Abraham would have been to have heard that voice. And that brings us to the third thing in this passage, and that is the provision. Notice what the angel says in verse 12. He says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Isaac showed that he feared God by his willingness to offer up his son as a sacrifice. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God means that, that you live your life in, in the conscious awareness that God sees and knows everything and that you factor him and his word into every aspect of your life. That's what it means to fear God. Fearing God for the Christian does not mean that we're afraid that God is going to judge us, that, that we're afraid that we're going to get out of line and he's going to strike us with a lightning bolt. Fearing God means that that, that you know that God sees and knows everything and that you live your life, every aspect of your life, school, home, work, friendships, relationships, you live every aspect of your life with a conscious desire to honor him in all that you do. And so the angel says, Abraham, I know that what you care most about is following God and honoring God. Don't lay a hand on your son. And at this point, Abraham turns and he looks. He sees a ram caught in some bushes. God has provided a substitute for Isaac. And Abraham takes that ram and he offers it up as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham now gives this place a name Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. This is a great story. Children, whichever one of you put this in the box, thank you. This is a great story. It's a great story about a man who believed God's promise. It's a great story about a man who believed that God would keep that promise no matter what. But there's something else here that that we all probably quickly recognize. You see, this, this account shows us a father's willingness to sacrifice his own son. Sounds familiar, right? Father's willingness to sacrifice his own son. The the parallels between this account and the ministry of Jesus are, are really quite striking. I was actually stunned this past week when I was reading a few commentaries, and I read one commentary that the author made no connection between this account and Jesus. He never mentioned Jesus once. I was was stunned. I I don't know how you can miss this. I I mean, think about this. First of all, just as Isaac was the son whom Abraham loved, so God the Father, Matthew 3.17, says of Jesus, this is my beloved son. Just as Isaac was Abraham's only son, so Jesus was the only begotten son. Just as Isaac carried the sacrificial wood up to Mount Moriah, so Jesus, according to John 19, verse 17, carried wood on his back. He carried his own cross. Just as Isaac was willingly bound and laid on this altar, so Jesus went willingly to the cross. John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't go kicking and screaming. Jesus didn't try to run away. Just as Isaac didn't try to run away. And just as, the fa- or just as Abraham did not withhold his own son, so the father did not withhold his own son. In fact, in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, the same word that is used for withhold here in verse 12 is also used by Paul in Romans chapter 8 when he says that God did not spare his own son. He did not withhold his own son. You, You cannot miss the parallels. But there is a major difference. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, heaven was silent. Heaven said nothing. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, no voice came from heaven and said, stop. Don't do this. There was no voice that day. Silence. And on that day, the son was killed. God's wrath was poured out on his son. Why? Why? because there was no other substitute that could be made. This was the only way for you and I to be reconciled to God. Our sins are so great that it required nothing less than the death of God's own son to pay for those sins. Brothers and sisters, God did not withhold his own son. He gave him up willingly for us. And Jesus came willingly, didn't he? Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. What a God who loves us this way. What a God who loves his people so much that he did not withhold his own son, but gave him freely, gave him willingly. And on that day, there was no substitute for him. There was no voice from heaven. He died. He died so that we might live. You can't read this passage without seeing Jesus and being reminded that he is our substitute, that he took our place so that we would live. May we exhibit Abraham's trust and faith that God is in control that God will always work all things together for good and the greatest proof of that is the gift of his son. Let's bow in prayer. Father we thank you for again the the privilege to open your word this morning. What a What a rich, rich passage this is. And Lord, we can't read this passage without being reminded of your great love for us. And that in your love, you sent your only begotten Son so that we might live forever with you. Help us, Lord, to trust in your perfect plan even when we can't see a solution. And help us to rest in the finished work of our Savior, the perfect Savior, the only Savior, the Savior whom you have provided for us. We thank you in Jesus' name.